take two. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings where we are reading Harp Song for a Radical. The Life and Times of Eugene Victor Debs by Marguerite Young. <sighs> we are on page 159, chapter 41. Nab's pretty short chapter. What had killed Brother Whitling, that had consigned him to oblivion, had been the continued accusations that the Arbitervirane funds, which he had invested in the harebrained schemes for Utopia and Iowa, had never been repaid by him as they should have been. How could he return to the brothers their money, however, as the colonists in Iowa had paid but little for the support of the Arbitervirane, to which many workers belonged, and which they would not live to see, for the very good reason that the shaking community could not stand on its feet, and the water dam that he had built had collapsed, and many barns remained without roofs, and his central treasury in New York had shrunk to such an extent that it had no money of any kind with which to make good on good on old promises, no more resources than dead butterflies folded in dead cocoons upon dead tree boughs. Although he was able to prove to a judge in Dubuque, Dubuque? I don't know where that is, that he had not misappropriated the Arbitivirane funds by his refusal to turn over to the rival heads in Communia the 40 acres of mill land which represented the investments made by him in the name of the Arbitivirane. There was a plot to have him arrested as an embezzler. On returning to Iowa for settlement of claims, he had not gone farther than Dubuque. I don't know how to say this. Dubuque? 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 So, never again saw Communia. As to the losses that were suffered by those who had placed their stock in Communia, he was deeply regretful, but could not feel guilt. Forget that we once had brothers in Communia. Communia. He had advised the dwindling ranks, the faithful. They should remember how many losses of elephants and men had been suffered by Hannibal before he finally triumphed over Rome. Patience was required. So far as Vitley was concerned, the members of the Arbitivirane had not been the losers of an earthly paradise. Certainly he who would have been the Taylor King had Communia succeeded had it not been overshadowed by the losses suffered by Etienne Cabay and the death of jo Joseph Smith in the jail at Carthage and the dispersal of the remnants of the Mormons, but now suffer the ignominy of being a rags and patches tailor. Upon the cobweb window of his shop in New York was hung a sign advertising Zion, and it was apparent that although his face was streaked with tallow and his sleeves were streaked with chalk marks, he was still in quest of a better world, although perhaps only in lands of dreams. He still wore a red cap when at his work and red shoes. Frederick Ingalls was to recall in 1885 when the name of Wilhelm Wittling had been forgotten. He was that forgotten man who should be called the unforgettable forgotten man, of, who, of whom, of course, the number could be beyond number. For the grassy ways of socialism were studded with these red caps coming up in the spring after a long winter sleep under the grassless ways. Then when the author author of Gospel of the Poor Sinner, had first dealt himself out of the Marxist card game. He was already in his own mind the great man who carried a recipe for the realization of heaven on earth, ready-made in his pocket, was convinced that everybody intended to steal it from him. It was plain to see, it was plain to those who were his Marxist watchers in America that he had been unable to get along with anyone in a cooperative joint stock company like that which had fallen to pieces in Iowa. 
where, as was often said, the winters were as cold as those in the Siberian wasteland, and from where he had withdrawn because he could not be the total despot. So far as Marx was concerned, if the hysterical fool Wittling and other fools of his brand had succeeded in spreading their earthly paradises, if they had not been divided as in Iowa by their own anarchic sectarianism, causing splits from within, the so-called communitarians would have lived under a repressive system worse than any ever imposed by the most cruel czar over his serfs. Jumping out of communia, Vettling, upon his return to the lower Broadway of a thousand babbling tongues, had returned to a linguistic project, devising of a universal language. He had grown a red geranium in a pot on the sill inside his window that was to remind him that he had been, cr that he had been the crushed geranium. He had also been treated as if he were the mad dog, sleeping in a crescent position on his mattress on the floor at night. The deposed would be Taylor King, who had turned Taylor once again, had given himself over to the memories of mother and child, had accompanied him in his quest for the ideal utopian state that seemed both motherhood and fatherhood to him, as it would seem or be to all the lost children of God. Perhaps as Marx once observed, when the projects for reform carried on by an essential Philistine failed in the outer world, they crept back into his mind for solutions only in his dreams. Bittling had remained seethingly enraged by the failure of Marx and Engels to publicize his universal language, the discovery or invention of which had required his raging through vast geological layers, in a subjective sense only and not an objective sense, of earth forms, mineral forms, plant forms, which his universal language would provide the key for the opening of the door of pure reason. The bride whom Vitling chose to be his bride was a very loving, quiet girl who was half his age, and the eldest daughter of a former locksmith from Wittenberg in Mecklenburg, Sherwin, over whose door hung a huge iron lock, and who had come to this country by sailing vessel in 1852 and had settled on a farm near Utica, burial place of the sacred stone of the Oneida Indians and other Mohawk relics in Herkheimer County, where there were many old Mecklenburgers, and had bought with his hard-earned savings a small farm where he had grown apples and corn and practiced his various labor crafts, including the making of iron keys for whose who, who wanted to lock the doors of their barns after the horse was stolen probably never before. Caroline Tott was a very helpful girl who knew how to pick apples, shoe the ducks down the lane to their pond, was an excellent seamstress, and knew how to make cloth shoes, red shoes, and added to the family treasury her self-help as the elder daughter, daughter who earned her room and board in fifty pennies a week as an apprentice to a milliner in, in Utica for the purpose of learning to make straw bonnets. That she was a straw bonnet maker and that the former utopian head, Brother Vitling, had devised a method for ironing the straw for the poke bonnet could not have accounted for the feeling of instant recognition which he felt for her when they first met, nor could the domestic talents for which he was well known, such as leading ducks to ponds or feeding chickens in a yard. There would not be much chance for her to exhibit such talents in New York, unless she should be a duck stealer or a chicken stealer in the muddy lanes around City Hall, where the duck and chicken thieves did flourish, like the utopian thieves who might steal a man's utopian scroll. The girl certainly had a wonderful way with the sick and the old, a feeling of compassion for those who might be wounded or might be approaching their end upon life's road. People who, like Brother Vittling himself, might have lost their mizzenmast and sail when their ship was blown down in a storm, might have lost all their sails and shrouds, might have been loaded with anchors so that they could not go skyward but must go earthward, and must drown before reaching the end of a journey which should have had no ending. 
It was while Caroline had been visiting the home of her Uncle John on Lower Manhattan Island in order to take care of his sick wife, Mathilde, that the former Taylor King had caught his first glimpses of her as she moved back and forth with her bandages and her bottles in the workshop in the home on the Bowery near River and Ocean where he frequently dropped in for passage of a lonely hour or two in the company of the uncle who loved the music of horn and harp and fiddle as much as he did and whose exquisite trade was that of making and gilding and binding gilt-edged pages into calfskin bindings for the books for the private libraries of rich tycoons such as Astor's and Vanderbilt's, for whom the coverings were sometimes more important than the contents had been. The salt atmosphere had been filled with the smell of golden calfskins and little specks of gold like mica forming around dust motes as they dripped from the gilder's brushes and brooms, some showering onto Brother Vitling's coat as his attention became utterly magnetized by the ministrations of the angelic girl who had come from the old world to the new world as he had, who represented evidently some kind of unity that would bind together as broken parts and provide an unbroken linkage or chain, a chain of being that would unite his past and present and future. In fact, he was still working on and would continue to work on his lost sweetheart poems as on his universal language, which would provide the key to the mysteries of the queen of the sciences, and which had led him to study not only of the earth, but of the heavens and to the challenge of Copernicus in favor of Ptolemy, and to a sharp bladed attack upon the law of gravity as it had been worked out by the very unworldly Sir Isaac Newton, who had been such a small baby when he was born that he could have been enclosed in a half-pipe bottle. Once when Newton was away from his astronomical laboratory, he had returned to find that his little poodle dog, Diamond, had torn into shreds and eaten up part of his map showing distant star points. Perhaps God was punishing him for his neglect of God. He had picked up his poodle from its basket and crushed its curls with his loving hand as he, not shouting in anger, had whispered serenely, consolingly, Oh, little Diamond, Diamond, thou dost not know the harm which thou hast done. Some corner of the universe had been made into pulp, he had loved it so. Brother Wilhelm Wittling had shown himself to be no robber bridegroom, but a very proper tailor, when he had asked for and had received from the farm the iron locksmith and the apple-growing Herkheimer County at the hand of his elder daughter in marriage, and thus had saved her from what might have been the life of an old maid whose father had scared a demon lover away, and who would have become as sour and puckered and bitter as the one green apple which was never picked from the Eden tree. All right. Oh, I think we've come. Oh, no, we still got more with Vitling. All right. Thank you very much for listening. I uh, hope you're well wherever you are. Bye.